Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Support for this show comes from Indeed. If you need to hire, you may need Indeed. Indeed is a matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. With a bonus episode of Recode Media this week, you're getting two Recode Media episodes for the price of one. That price is zero dollars. You're welcome. I have not spent very much time on this podcast or any other media that I make talking about the blockchain because um, outside of currency speculation, I haven't really figured out how people are going to use the blockchain. But now there's kind of sort of a use for the blockchain. Also involves uh, speculation to varying degrees, uh, non-fungible tokens, NFTs. You probably didn't hear about them until a few months ago. Now you hear about them constantly. And there's some kind of there there. Unclear whether this is um, sort of a collective delusion or a real thing, or if it is a real thing, how long it's going to stick around for and what it's going to become. But I wanted to start getting my head around all of this and figured you guys would as well. So we've got a survey of different folks who know a bit about this. We're talking to Roham Gary Gozlu, who is the CEO of Dapper Labs. That's the company behind Top Shots, which I think is pretty much the best known uh, NFT marketplace right now. Maybe the only if you've probably if you've heard about NFTs, you've either heard about a Beeple selling for $69 million, and you may have heard about Top Shots. So we get to talk to Roham about all of that. Also talk to Mitchell Clark from The Verge. He's become their designated NFT writer, and I think he's not entirely unhappy about that. And also got a view from Hollywood via Brent Weinstein uh, over at UTA, the big agency there, to get a view of sort of what his clients think they do or don't want to do with, with NFTs. So all that is coming to you right now. First up, Roham Gary Gozlu from Dapper Labs. I'm here with Roham Gary Gozlu, the CEO of Dapper Labs. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. Thanks for walking me through some some basic questions I have about what you're doing and blockchain and NFT. Let me start here. Whenever I pay attention to blockchain, which is sporadically over the years, I keep asking people the question, when will consumers be able to do something with the blockchain? It seems like primarily this, it's, it's a theoretical construct and people use it to speculate with currencies like Bitcoin. And the two examples they pointed to over the years are CryptoKitties, which you made, and now Topshot, which you've made. Um, so I think a lot of people now have heard about Topshot. It is a way essentially for you to buy and trade digital basketball trading cards, at least for the moment. Is that a, is that a fair summary of what of what you've made? Yeah, well, I mean, I think I think we took the best parts of trading cards and we took it to the next level because Topshots are more than just pictures on on sort of rectangles. They're uh-huh. 
Um, they're actually uh, the, the greatest highlights, the greatest moments in NBA history um, and the moments that are happening on screen and games that, happen, that, that, that are going on on TV. Um, and we actually cut high-definition video. We're, we're going to add uh, audio and things in, in the future. Um, and it's just a much more immersive experience. These are 3D objects that in the future will be able to go into virtual reality, augmented reality. It's, it's much bigger than, than just trading cards, but we, we took the best parts of trading cards and, and that sort of economy design. This is something that has taken off over the last year. There's a lot of debate about whether this is sort of a pandemic uh, uh, product or something that lasts past the pandemic. Give us a sense of scale. How many people have registered to use Topshot? Can you give us a sense of the volume of, of transactions that is happening on the platform? Yeah, so Topshot is very much still in beta. Um, but of course, like uh, a lot of other entertainment experiences, it, it has benefited from the pandemic. But even before the pandemic, you know, people were... Uh, opening billions of dollars uh, worth of digital cards in in video games, um, and you know, obviously, trading cards have been around yeah. for for quite some time. So, um, how, how many folks are using Top Shot today? Um, we've got almost a million registered users. About four hundred thousand or so have already purchased a at least one Top Shot. Um, most of those people own three or more um, Top Shots, um, if I remember correctly, and. The, the number of people who, the, the transaction volume has been uh, over $500 million uh, in the last sort of six months or so while, while we're still in beta. So, so those um, sort of 400,000 uh, users have, have collectively spent uh, over $500 million, most of it on the peer-to-peer marketplace, basically uh, trading cards between each other. So these are NFTs, non-fungible tokens. These are terms that until recently, no one had ever heard of, and now are very trendy. Um, sort of same thing with blockchain. Uh, I was reading a profile of, of what you guys were doing at the, for my colleagues at The Verge, and you had a really interesting stat there about the fact that you don't have the word blockchain anywhere on your site. Um, and that you'd experimented and, and found that when people encountered the word blockchain, they sort of fled from that. Was Was the premise of this always to sort of take the technical part of the blockchain and NFTs and remove it out of sight from the users? Yeah, I mean, that, that sort of, that was very much the mission behind CryptoKitties as well. Um, and, you know, our, our theory back then, which is still the same now, is that the number of people that wanted to interact with cryptocurrency and were okay with sort of the, the volatility aspects, the, the uh, ambiguity, the, the sort of uh, lack of regulatory clarity, like those people have already adopted cryptocurrency. And so um, we believe deeply that decentralized systems are a better, uh, are gonna be better for consumers, better for businesses. They're, they're just better way to build uh, online products. But nobody wants to, you know, other than early adopters, nobody really wants to go deep and understand the inner workings of how technology uh, uh, works and is built. They, they just wanna use products that give them um, benefits that they didn't have before. So there's nothing about blockchain or NF- even the word NFT, even though we coined that, that term, um, there's nothing, there's nowhere that says the word NFT on the, on the NBA Top Shot website. And yet every account is a crypto wallet. Every Top Shot is a NFT. Every transaction, uh, is recorded on the blockchain. And, and what that means is we have complete transparency and, you know, collectors can come onto the marketplace and look at, the trading history, the chain of custody, the provenance of every single mm-hmm. asset. And they sort of ask us, well, how come it's so transparent? And then we tell them, oh, because it's on the blockchain. Yeah, they I, ask us, 
you know, you know, we can open packs in, you know, ultimate team, but we can't sell them. How can we, can, how come we can sell our digital stuff here? Oh, because it's on the blockchain. So it's always the answers come after people sort of are, wow, this is awesome. Why is it so awesome? Uh, because we're using blockchain technology rather than sort of trying to sell them on the fact that it's new technology. Uh, we, we, we found that, uh, that doesn't actually work. So let me stay with, with the, the blockchain idea and why it's important here, because that's always my other question about the blockchain is, you know, one, will regular people use this in some way? And two, why is blockchain better than regular technology? Why can't you do this with a website? And, um, you know, what, why couldn't you do it with a credit card and this in general? Um, and generally, it doesn't seem like it is better. Um, in fact, sometimes it's less good. What since you're selling essentially digital trading cards and letting people transact on them and people don't really necessarily realize they're using the blockchain, why why do you need um, that layer of, of, why do you need a blockchain layer underneath this to make it work? Why couldn't you just do um, an NBA official sponsored card? Here it is, you can buy it and trade it and it's the same thing. I mean, in the same way that my kids are buying uh, Fortnite skins on Fortnite, and they don't know or care whether there's a blockchain underlying it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reality is if you buy Fortnite skins in Fortnite, you've bought something that only lives within the Fortnite universe. And and you can't take it out of Fortnite. You can't sell it on a third-party marketplace. Fortnite can take it away at any time. Uh, Fortnite can print more assets like that anytime or, or reduce the uh, the or change sort of the the characteristics of your asset. Right, they can bring they can bring back the raven skin whenever they want, so it's more or less rare. <laughs> well, and and but but it goes beyond that. And let me step back a second to to sort of the the apps. What's happening here on a uh, sort of on a on a global scale? What what if you, blockchain is just an evolution in how software is written and where software runs? If you think about the internet. That was the first time that you could take software. You know, before the internet, you had software on disks, right? That you put into computers and you ran them mm-hmm. locally. The internet was this idea that software can run on someone else's computer and it can be streamed to your device. And so, mm-hmm. you know, websites are just, you know, websites, digital assets, web applications. They're just someone else's computer being beamed to your, you know, uh, client. And and you don't have any transparency into what's happening in their computer. You don't have any control over what's happening in that computer. You don't have any ability to uh, you know, you don't control your own data. You can't take it out of Facebook and, and put it into Twitter. Um, all of those happen on sort of closed networks that themselves don't talk to each other other than through these things called APIs. Um, and APIs have brought a lot of value to cus- customers because they let uh, these services talk to each other and let your data go from place to place. Um, but the problem is they're all closed and any of these businesses, all of these businesses are competing with each other. And so they're uh, screwing each other over. They are blocking startups from competing. And all of that means that customers don't have enough portability. They don't have uh, transparency. They don't have choice. They don't have enough. Uh, it's, it's actually really hard these days to build software to compete with, you know, the Facebooks and Amazons and Googles of the world because they have so much uh, power and, and so much of the software is running on their systems. Blockchain, for the first time, lets software run independently of any servers. It runs in the open and it's under the control of the person that owns the key that, 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 that can command that software. And what that means is you can create something like Bitcoin that, that is a currency that lives out of control of any government, any individual corporation. What that means is the NBA can create digital assets that once they sell them to the fan, they live in the fan's wallet and 
Dapper Labs almost becomes irrelevant, just like it doesn't matter who manufactures a jersey. If your fans hold the jerseys, they, they can keep them forever. Right, uh, whereas, but, whereas if- but, but you guys are using your own blockchain software, right? Something called Flow. Right. And so right now I sort of uh, I can't actually take this to someone who's using a different variant of the blockchain and transact there. And so, your terms of service say the NBA can actually, you know, they can't remove the 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 moment that they've sold me, the, the trading card they've sold me, but they do have rights over it. Um, I don't actually have the right to display it necessarily. They could take that away from me. I can't pull it off of YouTube. Um it seems like a lot of this stuff still is pretty tethered in various ways. Um, and other folks I've talked to point out that, by the way, like your 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 website, you know, the, the way the way I'm interacting with Top Shot is is not through the blockchain. It's through sort of conventional software, um, which makes sense because it's for regular people. So again, why couldn't you just run all of this without the block? If, especially if people are trading and speculating. In theory, they shouldn't care whether they can move it around right as long as someone is vouching for it um no i i uh that that's i think missing the point so so okay addressing your two things one is that the block flow blockchain is open and decentralized and mm-hmm. there's already over 300 nodes being run by you know there's mba players running nodes there's companies like samsung and Deutsche telecom and so on and so forth so the but but you're right the top shot system is both it's both custodial in the sense that we, um, we, you know, because we allow credit card payments, et cetera, we're actually holding uh, everybody's NFTs the way Coinbase holds someone's Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, and today in beta, you can't withdraw your NFTs out of that sort of Coinbase setup yet. Um, again, in order to keep people safe, secure, so on and so forth. But a longer term, that is, uh, as in, you know, within the next six months, there's absolutely um, something we, we have to support. And then the second thing is, if you're a brand like the NBA, you don't do deals for you know a six month or or one year or you know there's a reason that these um, sort of turning collectibles, turning video highlights, the most valuable asset that the NBA has, um, into digital collectibles, which is now a billion dollar economy on NBA Top Shot alone. That's a big um, step to take, and mm-hmm. sort of doing it, say doing it in Fortnite or you know doing them as Facebook stickers or something. That basically means that your your fan base is permanently going to be looking at Facebook as sort of the the place where your assets live, or or Fortnite as the place where your assets live. Whereas here with with Dapper Labs and, and Flow Blockchain, yes, we are building it, we are taking it to market, and you know just like whether it's jerseys or or video games, um, you need someone to be kind of the the creator of a thing. But once the assets are created. Um, the, the, the power is actually within the NBA's hands because they control the, the ultimate IP rights for mm-hmm. the videos and things like that. Just like they control the IP, you know, when you buy a trading card, you don't have rights to commercialize that photograph on the card. You only have property rights over the actual card and same thing with a, with a top shot. Um, and the customer can take it wherever they want. And, and the, the key thing, which nobody talks about enough is that developers can build products for the customer. And, and that's a key thing where Top Shot has been in existence for six months and there's already uh, several dozen products built on top of Top Shot, some of which have already raised venture money. Um, and the reason they have done that is those companies, we can't block them from building on top of Top Shot um, because it's an open system. And that's better for the Top Shot customer because they get so much more products and services and, and you know, 
we can't lock those products and services from being able to provide value to customers if they want it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you mentioned that the NBA doesn't do this stuff lightly. They do do a lot of digital experimenting. When did you first hook up with them? How long ago did, did this did this start? We started talking to them really pretty soon after CryptoKitties, so, or after the launch of CryptoKitties. So start of 2018, um, we started sharing our data with them, trying to explain you know, what our NFTs... So they uh, saw what, what you were doing in CryptoKitties, selling you know, jokey, cartoony, digital cats, and said, is there something here for us? Yeah, I mean, I would, I wouldn't be sort of that dismissive of the CryptoKitties thing. I think you know the the people no, just that were, literally describing what they were, right? I mean, they weren't, you know, they were they digital were, cartoon cats. They were digital cartoon cats, but they were also the first time um, someone. Well, they were the first real NFT, right? We had just written uh-huh. the, the non fungible token standard. And they were a $30 million economy just by themselves. Right. And, yeah. all, all I'm saying is they said, what is, a, what is a version of this that we could do with our IP and our players and, and, and what we built? Exactly. And yeah. uh, it took us about a year or so to sort of work through all of the details. I mean, they were, uh, they were quite sophisticated in trying to um, understand you know, all the various dynamics around blockchain technology and what crypto means and so on and so forth. Um, and we, we finalized things middle of 2019. I think we, uh, signed a deal May, June and then announced it in July. Um, and that was around the same time we had, um, uh, basically finalized the architecture, uh, for flow blockchain. Um, and then we spent the next year, uh, building sort of the three layers of, of our stack, the, the blockchain, the sort of payment system, and then the, um, the, the top shot, um, experience on top of it. And the basic premise is the NBA controls the IP, and they share some of that with the players, and the players' union has a has a role in this. Um, and then every time there's a, a card sold and then resold, there's a, there's they get a part of that transaction. Am I, am I, I'm getting the gist of it right, correct? Uh, yeah, exactly. So we create uh, these digital collectibles, like a you know uh, Panini would make digital cards, and when we mm-hmm. put them in packs, and we do pack drops. So pack drops happen once or twice a week. They're kind of the the most intense uh, event in in Top Shop because like hundreds of thousands of people line up for uh, for usually packs that are that sell out very very quickly. You're waiting um, to buy a, a a literal pack of digital cards in the same way you would go to to the comic book store and buy a, a packet of baseball cards. That's right. And then when yeah. you open it up, you you can trade the things you get inside, um, list them on the marketplace, um, buy from others. People uh, complete collect complete sets and complete challenges to get uh, sort of special and, and exclusive content, and uh, and that's been the experience that that people are loving so far. But it's more than just trading cards because it's so digital and low friction. You can go from Twitter to making a transaction in you know three four clicks, and so you know it's it's become a much more social experience. Um, and you know I I've never seen players get involved like this in any other collectible. How do, uh, how does it? player get involved beyond being on the court and having their 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 image replicated on the card is there anything they can do to participate more other than tweeting at people and can they opt out of it can they say actually i don't i don't want my card trading here i want to hang on to it do they have that ability or is that sort of an all-in agreement with the nba um the current all current players uh, i believe have uh an agreement with the players union so uh, but some retired players can opt out of that agreement, and okay. um, we have to make sort of one, one-off deals. Um, but no, so is, is there a, is there a special Michael Jordan uh, set, or does he have to bless that, or does that exist? That has to be. So, for example, he's uh, uh, you know one of the folks that that 
uh, you have to work with directly. Um, good news is he's one of our investors now. So um, that we haven't announced anything there, but okay. Soon. So you, you're a, you're a couple years into this with the NBA. Um, I'm assuming you're not going to tell me how long that deal goes for, but whenever that deal does expire, what happens then? I assume that whatever the terms the NBA signed on for a couple of years ago, they want to they'll want to revisit and say, turns out this is much more valuable than we anticipated. We want to come back to you. Um, and what happens if they say, this was great, but we want to go somewhere else. We either want to run it ourselves or we want to run on a competing platform. One, what happens to the stuff that people have bought? And two, what happens to your business? It seems like it's very dependent on having licensed IP from the NBA and presumably other folks down the line. Um, well, I mean, I can say a couple of things. One is that both um, us and the NBA look at this as a, as a long-term. I have always looked at this as a multi-decade relationship because of the sort of permanence of the assets and, the, and, and what they mean for the fans. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they have the optionality of if there's ever a problem, um, and you know, practically speaking, because of the technology state today, it's, it's not realistic for anyone to spin up something like what we built in anything less than a year. But, mm-hmm. uh, but presuming, that, let's say, it's 10 years down the line and, and there's, there's a, a competing platform, because these assets are open, the customers themselves um, can can take their assets into into the other platform, and it's really there's way less switch switching costs in the sense of you can it's like being able to take your friends and your Facebook posts and everything right. and just start a whole new social network, and everything is uh, immediately compatible with all the old social network. Um, and, right. So and the, that's, the, and that's and that's part of the that's part of the pitch you're really making to your your customers is you can move this stuff out, which increases the value of the stuff you're selling, but it also you know, makes your business that much more precarious because they're, the switching costs are so much less. So how do you build a business where, where ultimately, I assume you're talking to other big media companies, other folks who own IP, you want them to come on board, but they're also going to weigh other options and, and they will want the ability to, to I mean, they'll want to they'll want to fight with you over, over dollars. And, and I'm just wondering how you, 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 you want to be a platform, I'm assuming. I'm wondering how you figure out the balance between getting people to transact and, and work on your platform versus giving them the ability to leave your platform? So for one thing, the products that we're building are very complex. There's a 70-person team building NBA Top Shot. It's not just, you know, take YouTube videos and, and sort of mm-hmm. put them on the marketplace. That's a lot of what you see in NFTs today, but those aren't sustainable uh, projects. And at this level of sophistication, people understand that. Um, and so we haven't necessarily... You know, the, the, it's more about how can we create something for new, uh, for every league that's as endemic to their fan base as what we've done with NBA Top Shot is to the NBA fan base. I think that's where, you know, we think we have a gigantic opportunity with NBA alone. And so just the opportunity cost of, of even thinking about something else is, uh, mm-hmm. is, is we need partners that are, that are going to roll up their sleeves. So, the, so our current focus is on MBA. Um, the, uh, but in terms of sort of what our business looks like, look, we have we just announced a $305 million round from uh, the world's top investors. Um, we have billions of dollars of uh, flow token on our uh, balance sheet as well. The, the, what we are focused on is a long-term open ecosystem um, that, that you know, is multi-blockchain, is basically built around what's good for the customer. And so we think very, very long term with all of these deals. And we think that there's so much complexity in the kinds of 
products we've built. The reason NBA Top Shot is, is more, has more users and transaction volume than every other NFT project combined isn't just technology. You know, Flow is great, but it's open source. Anybody can go build on mm -hmm. it. They don't need us for it. It's the, it's the game design. It's the economy design. It's the go-to-market. It's the community. Um, it's a lot of the compliance and regulatory stack that we've been uh, forced to build given the scale of our operations. Um, those are the things that you know, we can offer partners um, and whether it's you know, us making the creative design or, or working with other companies to do so, um, we, we do consider ourselves a platform company. And so, um, but we, the reason we started all of this is to build an open platform, not a closed platform. And um, we think there's more value there. If and when you bring on other partners who have other IP, do you imagine that all sits under the Top Shot brand and the Top Shot ecosystem or just sort of each, whether it's a league or I'll keep saying Disney because I'm sure Disney is thinking about it, but I can imagine you know, <laughs> Warner Brothers and others folks who have all this valuable IP de debating what to do with it. Do you think they'll, they'll sort of want their own storefront and, and ecosystem or do you think you know somewhere you're you know trading a lebron james card for a rare mickey mouse card or whatever it is and it all sort of sits in the same in the same ecosystem uh, i think both um i think every one of these large ips will have to have a their own um you know a, a shared un a, a sort of branded universe um and so and you know for someone like disney it might be several that are customized to their fan bases. But because these assets are open, there will also be uh, marketplaces and, and experiences that let people sort of cross over between, uh, between worlds. Um, I'm not convinced in sort of the eBay model of, of sort of one marketplace for everything, but uh, what, why not? totally imagine. Um, there's just so much value in, again, experiences custom to fans. And so if you imagine a marketplace that's purely around music and music collectibles and music fans and and the cadence of of what uh, what sort of how music artists connect with their communities that's totally different than you know movies and, and actors and and uh and your movie studios and, and that sort of thing which is totally different than sports uh which is seasonal and but but so much more structured let me ask you about Dapper Labs in general. So this, you've done multiple projects now. We mentioned CryptoKitties, which you thought I was being dismissive of. I was just pointing out what it was. You're doing this. In between, there was something called Cheese Wizards, which was a game based on, on NFTs, which I gather didn't work. What was the plan when you started? Like crank out as many different things as you can around, around NFTs and blockchain and see what works? Or, or was there a specific path that you were on? Um, so I think our company name hints at it, right? Is Dapper Labs. We very much knew that we were so early on in this platform shift, and that the the current platforms weren't the answer. You know, by the time we raised venture money, we were sort of three months into CryptoKitties. We had already crashed Ethereum uh, numerous times, and and it, it was just very clear that the current system wasn't going to scale. And so we had a we we essentially sort of divided our company into three, and and we still we still have that today. Um, one team was designed to essentially explore different uh, how different kinds of blockchain applications from sort of the CryptoKitties angle, the sports cards things. You know, Cheese Wizards is a fully on-chain uh, game where every all of the game logic uh, ran on the Ethereum blockchain. The, the the smart contracts were 42 bytes below the limit of the Ethereum virtual machine, so it was sort of our way of trying to stretch the the technology. 
Um, and then we had a team purely focused on user experience and on ramps and payments. We built the first uh, consumer smart contract wallet for for Ethereum and tried to tried to build everything you see on Topshot. We tried to build on Ethereum first, um, and then we had sort of the scaling team, which at first was doing a lot of research into alternative uh, blockchains and layer twos and all the things people talk about. Um, and then and then basically decided we need to bet on ourselves, and and that's turned into the flow team. Um, and and built the built the whole blockchain. So right. So you got one team essentially building the 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 infrastructure and stuff that all this is going to land on. And then in terms of Crypto Kitties, you invented the Crypto Kitties Cheese Wizards. I guess you invented the Cheese Wizards. I'm just not quite clear what they are. <laughs> and, and with 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 Top Shot, it's the NBA's property. Correct. And you're taking that and creating a product out of that. Do you think that's going to be what you guys are doing from here on out? Is going to people who have something that already has some value and finding a way of digitizing it and and, and making that something you can buy and sell and trade? I, I think of it a little more like um, you know Netflix, uh, where where we are the platform and we are we're running the pipes, but then we also create original content, some of which is licensed, some of which is our own IP. Um, and, so you'll and you'll yeah, try we, your own your own NFTs stuff that you are continuing to build out of whole cloth. Well, absolutely, I mean CryptoKitties will be first, um, but but I think Cheese Wizards is also a powerful brand. Uh, I like and, I like saying Cheese Wizards out loud. It's good, right? Uh, and then there's there's a lot more that we we just didn't ship um, on on Ethereum it was too hard. Um, so so we we definitely have sort of internal, you know, at the end of the day, we're creative people and we love. Uh, jamming on this stuff, and and we can take bigger risks with our own IP uh, than than with uh, with some of these sort of multi-billion person communities. Um, but but at the same time, these multi-billion person communities are are the are the best anchor tenant for um, for our platform, and um, and we think that you know sports cards and sports sort of digital sports collectibles are the most obvious applications of it, of NFTs. Um, and and uh, and we really want to bring that to sports fans everywhere. I think that a lot of people listening to this podcast had probably never heard of NFTs until very recently. Now everyone has, at least vaguely, and they've heard that someone bought a $69 million digital painting. Uh, my inbox every day has multiple NFT pitches, and they're all trying to outdo each other, and we're clearly in a hype cycle bubble moment. And I'm wondering how you th and you guys were just able to raise a bunch of money, presumably because people like what you're doing. But I'm wondering how you think about sort of writing it out and knowing that there is going to be some inevitable sort of trough as people, you know, become less enamored with these or they get burnt or it turns out no one wants to buy a Snoop Dogg NFT. I'm obviously you want to manage this stuff for the long term, but but in the very near term, how are you trying to distinguish what you're doing from all the dreck that is is flowing into my inbox and across everyone's Twitter right now. <laughs> I mean, you know, at, at some point, there's there's no point fighting the uh, when when things get this um, noisy. I think it's it's important just to stay focused on our mission and and keep delivering. So, you know, I think I personally support the experimentation. I think we're learning a lot by seeing what what people get excited about, what they what they don't get excited about. Um, there is a lot of noise in the market, but this is how innovation happens, right? There's hype kind of lets people, you know, see the future and then the, the, the downtimes lets people build and deliver on, uh, all the, all the promises. Um, and we've gone through the cycle a couple of times, you know, the first time we tried building on Bitcoin was back in 2014. Yep. 
and 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 you know in t- 2017 we saw a lot of the same hype and and back then it was way less realistic in the sense that there was no infrastructure there were no communities but you know today with nfts there've been really some of the smartest people i know in the world that have been working on this stuff for for more than 3 years straight and we're going to keep working on it for for the next decade uh, no matter what the sort of ups and downs of the markets are. So that, that's what gives me confidence. Sometimes when I see a discussion about NFTs, I'll hear people saying, well, some of this is just speculation. These people are just mm-hmm. buying an asset and hoping it gets more expensive. And my thought is, yeah, no shit. And also that seems like a feature, not a bug. Do you care if people are um, only investing in, in LeBron James cards because they think they're going to get more valuable very soon? Um, I think, yeah. So, so for us, it's really important that people uh, uh, purchase. People don't have unrealistic expectations, and people get unrealistic expectations very easily. So, you know, I think at a personal level, I think people should be able to do whatever they want with their money. Um, but at the same time, you know, we don't let our credit card limit is two thousand five hundred dollars because we don't want people going into debt buying, you know, things based on uh, uh, sort of YouTube videos saying they're get rich quick schemes or, or something like that. So when I'm reading about someone paying $200,000 for a LeBron James card, that's not happening directly through you. That's someone selling it to someone else. No, they, what we do is we ask people to go to Coinbase, buy USDC um, and pay through the sort of login with Coinbase functionality that we have. Um, that's, I'm, 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 that's, I'm missing the distinction. So I I, I, I I can pay I can pay up to twenty five hundred bucks directly through you, and if I want to spend more, I do it how? Um, so on a credit card, you know that that means you're sort of going into debt to buy yep, something. Yep. That that we put that twenty five hundred dollar limit. But on okay. Coinbase, if you're buying any you know Bitcoin or, or USDC on Coinbase, you have to actually you know transfer them the money through mm-hmm. sort of wire wire transfer or something. So okay, so you'll let me yeah. speculate wildly. You just won't let me go into massive debt at least through credit cards. <laughs> we, you know, I have personally talked to most of the collectors that have bought, you know, six figure plus um, top shots, mm-hmm. and they're all very sophisticated. They're all people that have trading card portfolios. They have, uh, you know, they have their stuff on uh, products like Alt, and they're using products like Starstock, and they sort of they really know what they're doing. Um, but but yeah, it is. We we don't want the. And that's partially the benefit, by the way, of being on a system like uh, like Dapper is you can, you know, because we do full uh, identity verification and, and you know, anti-money laundering and these things, we don't have the same um, sort of speculative mania of, uh, of people coming in with piles of Bitcoin or Ethereum. Um, and I think that that's good. It protects the ecosystem. And, and I think people buying top shots should do it first because they want them. Um, and, and, you know, second, because they think that, uh, there's, there's a value arbitrage, um, on whatever time scale they're interested. Were you an NBA fan before you started this? Absolutely. I mean, the NBA, you know, uh, I'm, I'm also uh, a big, uh, uh, sort of soccer fan. So, so we'll see what, uh-huh. what we do there. Yeah. I was going to say, what's your, what's your dream sport or dream player that you want to introduce into this ecosystem that you haven't got to yet? Um, I think, look, like I think right now we're focused on the biggest sports, um, but, but I think for niche communities, this kind of technology can be, can be fantastic too. So, so, you know, yeah, that, that, that's sort of all I'll say. Curling. That's a big thing in Canada, right? You're in Vancouver. (laughs) That's right. That is a big thing in Canada. 
Rohan, I have many other questions for you, but I promise this would be a relatively brief conversation and we're going to talk to some other folks in the same episode. So I'm going to let you go. Um, and I think we're probably going to talk again down the line. Um, thank you for your time. Love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Rohan for coming on. Uh, next up, we're going to have Mitchell Clark, but first a word from a sponsor. Startups, you don't need to settle for a cumbersome banking experience to protect your money. Mercury offers banking and credit cards with effortless experience, giving ambitious companies greater precision, control, and focus without compromising security. Open smarter checking and savings accounts, control spend, optimize cash flow, and close the books in record time. Visit mercury.com to join more than 100,000 startups that trust Mercury with their finances and to help them perform at their highest level. Support for this show comes from Indeed. Imagine the perfect employee. Let's call her Jackie. Jackie is professional yet relaxed, punctual, friendly, meets deadlines, and just makes your job easier overall. But the search for Jackie can be long and tedious, especially when you have so many other things on your plate. Indeed wants to help you find your next Jackie. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. They leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. So their matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. That means they can better connect you with your Jackie. And listeners of this show can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and say you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm here with Mitchell Clark from The Verge. Mitchell, I'm not quite sure what your official title is at The Verge, but I think you are now their de facto NFT reporter. Is that, is that the right way to describe you? It definitely seems like it. I get notified in Slack every time some NFT news comes up. Did you raise your hand and say, dudes, this is what I want to cover? Give me, give me all the NFT? I, I did not. I think it just kind of happened. I wrote the explainer and then suddenly everyone's like, hey, you know, there's this new interesting development and we can add that to the explainer. And oh, maybe this is a breakout. Are you enjoying being the, the, the eye of the NFT storm? There are sometimes very interesting stories that happen. And then yeah. sometimes there are stories that I, I don't love so much. So we, yeah, I want to talk about both those. Um, we are we are in the middle of the NFT hype cycle. Maybe it's even dying down a little bit. We're at the point where I feel like I don't have to explain to this audience what an NFT is, but just for giggles, it's a non-fungible token. It's both something that seems very brand new, but has been maybe kicking around for a couple of years. Why, why is it a thing right now in spring of 2021? Well, that's a little hard to tell. Um, a lot of the speculation is that crypto is having another boom. Uh, it's based on Ethereum, which is a popular cryptocurrency. And so a lot of people do have a bunch of cryptocurrency to spend. And this is an easy way to keep it kind of within that ecosystem. It's a real uh, problem, right? If you have a bunch of crypto that is now theoretically worth a lot of money, it's actually not easy to go buy a boat with it or something. You would have some pretty heavy tax implications if you were to convert that into like a say a US dollar or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it would be it would be kind of a difficult thing to do. Um and so you can potentially use that on NFTs. And then 
it's also kind of turned into a speculative market, whereas before it was kind of a fun thing to play around with, whereas now a lot of companies are trying to say, well, these are now speculative assets, just like art is, Mm -hmm. or just like trading cards where they could actually appreciate in value. And of course, that gets people's interest. Who doesn't want to buy something and then sell it later on for more money? I I literally know someone who bought some Top Shot stuff for 300 bucks, and at one point it was worth $12,000. And even if you have no interest in that and don't care about basketball, you might think, all right, maybe I should be getting in on this. And it's self-perpetuating. I would love to put $300 in to something and then get 12000 back. And right now, that's definitely not the traditional stock market. So there you go. And is there something technically going on that, that makes this possible where it wasn't possible a couple of years ago? Or has this been sort of available for the last couple of years and no one figured out how to do it? The technology has been around for a little bit. I think it was first introduced around 2017. Um but it, it's not a built-in feature to the blockchain. Like It hasn't been available for all of Ethereum's life. It's made possible by something called smart contracts, which basically just lets you... like it's, It allows for what NFTs are, whether the single or limited edition type of cryptocurrency rather than an Ethereum token, which is essentially equivalent to any other Ethereum token. Smart contracts make it possible to make unique tokens. Okay, so I want to talk about the the selling end and the buying end. Let's start with the sellers. If you are anyone, whether you're an artist no one has ever heard of prior till mm-hmm. now, like a Beeple, or you're Snoop Dogg and you sell wine and weed and everything else, is there any reason that you wouldn't want to create an NFT? Is there any downside to putting one of these out on the market? If you're Jack Dorsey and saying, I want to sell, sell my tweet, is there any reason not to do this? Right, well... The obvious reason, there's two kind of obvious reasons. One is that people might make fun of you um, just because you so might let's be... Skip, se- let's, skip, let's skip past that. Let's say, all right, I can, right. I can handle being, being made fun of. There's a frenzy going on. I want to take part in it. The, the second or the, one of the big concerns with cryptocurrencies in general and Ethereum, which is what a lot of the NFTs are based on. There are alternative markets that are using different coins, but the majority of cryptocurrencies, or the majority of NFTs are being sold on the Ethereum blockchain. And as of right now, that has very high energy demands for doing anything on it. So if you are creating and selling an NFT, there's a very high chance that it could be Using a, or creating a lot of emissions due to the energy that has to be used. So you're actively also, harming the world by, you by, could, by, by you participating could, in this. You could very well be, yes. Like you don't want to melt Greenland to sell, you know, a, a JPEG or whatever. Mm-hmm. There are arguments as to why potentially that's not the case. Um, people will argue, oh, the Ethereum blockchain is switching to a more efficient model. It hasn't happened yet for the most part. Um, so that's not really a valid argument. And then there's a lot of arguments saying, well, how do you know that the mining operations that make this feasible aren't running on green energy? And well, yes, some of them may be. Uh, that is not something that you can actually tell. So if, you can, if your ego can withstand being made fun of, 
and you're like, someone else can figure out the environmental stuff. This is a tool I want to use it. It seems like you should be trying to sell something. I'm curious about what people are selling. I noticed there's a lot of digital artwork being sold. Sometimes it's by someone who is a digital artist. Sometimes it's a musician like Grimes who isn't selling their music. They're selling some sketches or something. Um, you hear a lot of times like everything that can be digitized will be digitized and sold, but it seems like we're selling very specific things right now. And we're not, you know, um, Jack Dorsey and Square bought bought title and I did some speculating. There's some NFTs there. Or NFTs are a play there. But I'm curious why we aren't seeing, for instance, people selling movies or TV shows or songs. Any sense of sort of what is holding back some of these sales? Is it a technical issue or is it a rights issue? It may not be either. It may just be that the, the culture of NFT selling hasn't gotten to that point yet. Um, for the most part, NFTs are hosted separately. So you you purchase the NFT and that token does not actually contain the media that you are selling, whether it's it be... A, it's a pointer, right? It's saying it, this is where you can find the thing. Exactly. And to your point, selling a movie in that way may actually get kind of expensive because you have to host it and there's really not a ton of mitigation that you can do, like making it cheap to host because you would be serving it more or less to one singular person. Mm -hmm. The rights issues are somewhat complicated in general, NFTs don't come with copyright rights. So you are receiving the artwork, but you don't own the copyright to it. Uh, there, you can, Sellers can sell the copyright if they want to, but that's in general not how it's done. And one of the things I'll, I'll, I'll hear a lot about is like, oh, actually copyright's a big issue with this. And, and you know, one, one component of, in theory, one big component of the NFT is that it's, it's, it, it, it solves providence. It says, this is a record. We know who owns this. But by the same token, I think, in theory, I could take a Mickey Mouse picture and sell it. And I'm sure Disney would be unhappy and would try to sue me or could sue me. On the other hand, it's on the internet, right? It seems like a lot of this stuff is sort of up in the air and, and we'll either have to create new rules and, and ways to, to solve this. Or yeah, maybe we won't, and it's just a free-for-all. <laughs> I, I think definitely, like... Now that we've seen a lot of brands get involved, like Sherman and Taco Bell and all these people, like there will definitely have to be rules made given that corporations are getting involved. Uh, and they will want, obviously, rules made about this. If you're an artist selling your specific work, then if you're the copyright holder, then there's no issue. But as you said, yes, it is very possible to take someone else's copyrighted work and turn it into an NFT. And that becomes really, really dicey. Legally speaking, yeah. Chris Dixon, venture capitalist Andreessen Horowitz, wrote a, a, a post earlier this year saying, I, I think that NFTs beyond the speculative part of it and the novelty could be really meaningful because it will allow people who make media, who create things, to be able to sell that stuff to their audience um, profit from it directly, keep much more of the transaction they would if they're going through a different digital middleman. Um, are we seeing that happen right now or is it all just kind of edge cases? Are there people who are like now going out and saying, all right, I'm going to, instead of funding my newsletter through Substack, I'm going to create work that way and sell it to my fans that way. Is that is uh, is that happening or is this a could happen? 
that seems to be more of a could happen. We've seen some news articles get posted as NFTs, but those are generally from larger organizations. Like the New York Times had one and Quartz had one. And um, right. Those are all sort of one-offs, novelties, the money goes to charity. It's not a journalist saying, okay, this is my publishing platform now. And there are a couple of reasons for that. And one of them is that the the trading sites like Nifty Gateway or the others do still take a cut. Um, it depends on the site as to what that is. I've seen some that are like the the site takes 20%. Well, that's a not insignificant portion. And for a lot of things, like especially text, like you mentioned, those are possible to maybe more cheaply distribute than giving out a 20% cut. But there is a lot of, there's often a lot of talk in the art world about how artists aren't fairly compensated, whether it's musicians who are, you know, paid pennies or fractions of pennies from Spotify for each mm-hmm. play, or from digital artists who are routinely paid lower rates than maybe more traditional artists because, you know, you're doing it on the computer, you uh, isn't worth as much. Um, and I think a lot of people do somewhat see it as an opportunity to maybe make the money that they feel like they deserve, um, which is, it's uh, hard to argue with. Let me, let me talk about the buyers. What, what degree of technical sophistication do I need to participate in this if I want to buy something? The, the premise of Top Shot is nothing, right? That I give them my credit card and I'm doing it through an old-fashioned website and the fact that it's running on blockchain is uh, kind of beneath the surface. But it seems like in other cases, I would need to know my way around cryptocurrency. Is that right? For sure. Um, there are obviously the sellers that want to make it as easy as possible for you to give them your money, mm-hmm. um, as, as you would imagine. But there are some where it is a bit more of a tra- uh, technical transaction. And when you really get down into it, if you want to actually understand what you own, and if you were to ever want to prove that you own it, you are going to need to get into some of the technical details. Like, oh, what are wallets? What is this token identifier? Like, there are some things that are somewhat difficult to abstract, especially when you get to the point of trying to do the thing that NFTs are marketed as being able to do, which is prove ownership. Okay, so it's... Easy, but also hard, and maybe I have to hire someone to do this for me, which takes away the simplicity to begin with. Um, You mentioned at the beginning of this the idea that a lot of this is, a lot of what seems to be going on right now is people who have a lot of cryptocurrency that is a lot more valuable are spending it on this stuff. And that seems like a big flag for me. Like a lot of the people who are spending the most on, on, on some of these transactions seem to be crypto people themselves. Um, the guy who bought the Beeple for $69 million is a crypto guy. There was a good Washington Post article which kept dancing around the notion that maybe what this guy is doing is some kind of pump and dump scheme. They kept saying, it's not illegal, but then right. it was a gray area. Um, how much of this is fueled by people who have a lot of crypto assets who literally either don't have anything else to do with it or are trying to use trying to inflate the value of other crypto holdings by buying a $69 million painting. I guess the the simple way of saying is, is that really a $69 million purchase or is there a big asterisk next to it? 
as always in in any oat mocha, it's kind of hard to tell because oat has historically been used for this kind of thing too. Um, it's just it's just that now it's it's a digital thing. If I paid sixty nine million dollars for a Picasso through Sotheby's, right? Right. Presumably, at some point, I wrote them a check or some equivalent of that in real cash traded hands. Right. I mean, that's there's no asterisks there, right? That's true. Yeah, but um, you know there. Were also less reputable markets mm-hmm. than that that you could use, or uh, the art world has is famously used for money laundering, where mm-hmm. the check may be legitimate, but the way you got the money wasn't. Um, and I'm not saying that that's what NFTs are used for, but it's it's not an impossibility. And to your point as to whether this is crypto people trying to inflate their holdings or they're trying to drive up hype around something that they're excited about, I think. For sure, that was a lot of it in the beginning, right? When we first started hearing about it, it was mainly crypto people involved, obviously, because it was this technology that they understood. But now, as you said, with NBA Top Shots and with all these other kind of more popular or pop culture related things, I think it may be starting to turn towards more everyday people are starting to get involved with it because they're reading about it on the news. They're getting interested. They heard that the New York Times is selling like these super expensive uh, NFTs. But I think, obviously, most normal people aren't the ones dropping $70 million or $69 million, just millions and millions of dollars on these NFTs. But the kind of smaller transactions, people just buying NFTs for... Uh, a tenth or a twentieth of an Ethereum token. I think that's probably going to be like the the volume of that market probably makes up a large bulk of it. So let's assume that this we're in some kind of bubble, some kind of mania, some kind of mm-hmm. hype cycle. When that inevitably flattens out, where do you think? What what are we left with here? Um, once people aren't talking about someone buying a digital painting for sixty nine million dollars, is this is this a novelty that goes away, or is it a permanent part of our our infrastructure after this? I think the the biggest legacy will be a lot of very sad people when it becomes not as profitable and the sites start to shut down, and now your NFT points to nothing, and you don't really have a great way of proving that yes, this is my sixty nine million dollar beep. Isn't that the whole? Isn't that the entire point of the blockchain is you have this record? And isn't that the entire selling point of this? That it doesn't matter if it goes away? It is. However, since a lot of them are based on these pointers, you can say, I own an NFT that pointed to this URL. But it would be somewhat difficult to prove that that URL contained the file that you're talking about, right? Like if that file is no longer hosted at that URL, you may have a hard time convincing people, depending on the circumstances, that the picture or the piece of artwork that you're claiming to have ownership of was actually the one posted there. And there will be you know, ways to point back to that, see this article about it and all that. But for more run-of-the-mill transactions, it could be somewhat difficult. What is the best? Well, let's take Top Shot out of there since we we're having a conversation with the CEO mm-hmm. of that of that company. What's the most intriguing, most exciting, exciting in a good way? Not in a this is a scam way thing that you've seen sold or, or put up for sale. Right. My favorite story to come out of this by far is is these two 
Coinbase employees who basically gave each other uh, NFT wedding rings. Um, they minted basically two tokens, and those were the only two that could ever be minted, and they transferred them to each other. And I thought that was a very cute use of it. And I think that there's room in a world for novelty like that, um, where it's like, this is the only thing that will ever exist of this, and I'm giving it to you, or I'm you know putting this on display or whatever. I don't necessarily think that it is the future of art, like some people may may speculate that it is. It doesn't seem like that's going to be... Why isn't it the future of art? Why not? Assuming that digital art's a thing and people will want to see it, uh, and and this seems to be a reasonably decent way of, of tracking ownership. So again, leaving aside the speculative part of it, why, why not make this, why won't this be part of the, the infrastructure? I think it may be part of the infrastructure, but I still think that like, Putting things into online galleries or sharing them on Twitter is going to be a bigger way of getting your art out there than selling it as an NFT. Because while making money on art is something that a lot of people would like to do, a lot of the joy from that is just sharing it with people. And if you're sharing it in a way that's kind of implying that only one person can really own it or only a couple people can really own it, then that's a little different than, hey, I made this thing and I would like to share it with the world. I'm not going to ask you to tell me the dumbest thing you've ever seen as an NFT, but what's the dumbest thing in your inbox today? Um, I don't really want to give them a ton of press, but there was this company that was selling AR experiences of crimes as NFTs. I'm not exactly sure how that worked, but they were I like- I put on an Oculus and I see someone get murdered and it's an NFT. You can see specifically famous people get murdered, including Jesus Christ, Abraham Lincoln, and <sighs> uh, JFK. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Well, you yeah. win. That's the. I don't have that stupid thing in my inbox, so you get more of it. Um, you are the winner of the dumbest thing in your your- dumbest nft in your inbox today mitchell can, can we really have you back winner, sometime <laughs> yeah i know no it's, it's winner with, with air quotes we will have you back um because i think this is an ongoing story thanks mitchell absolutely thank you talking to brent weinstein from uta where he's a partner at the big deal hollywood agency hey brent hey how you doing peter nice to talk with you you and i've talked over the years because you're the digital guy at uta when i want to when i want to understand how talent thinks about something in the digital world, I'll come talk to you. We're talking about NFTs today, which have suddenly become something that everyone wants to be involved in. Are, are your clients clamoring to get on the NFT bandwagon? Do you want to help them on the NFT bandwagon? Or are you warning them away from the NFT bandwagon? What's the state of play? It's a, I'm, I'm glad you phrased it that way. Uh, you know, it's a little bit of both. Um, we have been monitoring everything in the blockchain space closely over the years. Uh, we were always fascinated by the potential of blockchain-based businesses and applications. Uh, when ICOs you know, first started popping up a few years ago, we took note and we didn't really feel like it was the right moment for our clients to rush in. But um, when everyone started talking about NFTs over the past six months or so, uh, we felt that the time was right. And we got excited about it for a number of reasons. Um, you know, first, and maybe uniquely because we're the only agency that has a fine arts practice where we represent fine artists, painters, and 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 photographers and sculptors, et cetera. 
we really understood the potential of NFTs in terms of how it was going to change the art and collectibles world. Um, but it got a lot more exciting when we started realizing how it could also change how artists distribute media. And maybe the most exciting part of it is how artists can change the dynamic in terms of how they connect with, provide value to uh, their biggest fans, um, sort of reinventing the old fan club model. So we got excited and, and realized that it, it wasn't just the hot thing to do and, and, and that was the only justification for doing it. There was actually some pretty sound business reasons to get excited about the space. So we built a team. We moved one of our executives from our fine arts practice into this space full time. So we are the first agency to have full time resources dedicated to NFTs. And we started advising clients. And, you know, sorry for the long winded response, but now I'll actually answer the question you asked. One of the first things that we do help clients think through is should they be in the space at all? Uh, and if so, should they be in it now or is there a reason to wait? And we've gone through that analysis with dozens and dozens of clients. And in some cases, it's netted out that they should be in the space and they should move quickly. In some cases, it's netted out where they should be in the space, but there's a strategic reason to wait a beat. And for some clients, as we talk it through with them, it just isn't the right thing for them either at all or in this moment. What's the downside in doing an NFT? Who shouldn't be doing it? It seems like at minimum, if there's someone who wants to buy something from you and it's something that you want to put your name next to, why not sell it? Why not try it out? Yeah, I think you know, we could probably ask the same question as to why doesn't every famous artist across different categories, film, TV, music, games, you know, digital media, why don't they all have their own merchandising lines, right? If, the, if there's a demand from the fan to buy a t-shirt, a hat, a sweatshirt, um, why not sell it to them? And at the end of the day, you know, I think the artists that are the most successful in any you know, vertical or, or medium are the ones who really understand their own brand, understand what the audience truly wants from them and deliver things that are authentic. And so I think, you know, there are going to be lots of artists who can authentically create and deliver an NFT to their fans and the NFTs will feel authentic um, relative to that brand and the expectations that, that the consumers have. And for some people, it just isn't as organic or at least it's not as obviously organic. And so that means we have to work with them to figure out what is the right organic thing to do. Or sometimes it's just not something they should focus on right now. So right now, it looks like most of the, the famous people we know selling NFTs are selling sort of, deriv I don't know if it's derivative works, but their work, it's, you know, I keep bringing up Grimes, uh, who's a musician, but she mm -hmm. sold some digital sketches. Is that sort of the standard, the standard mode right now? Because I think what's most interesting would be what if a musician released music that way? I mean, there's a couple right. examples. Or what if someone started distributing video clips that way. It's not happening now. Is that for technical reasons or is there, are there legal and biz dev reasons? Maybe, maybe they don't own the rights to the stuff that they'd want to sell that way. Um, a lot of it has to do with rights. So, um, you know, the analogy that I've used sometimes in, in, in talking through the space with people is if you go and buy a collectible, let's call it a first run edition of the very first Spider-Man comic ever created, that's a valuable collectible. You can buy it, you can own it, you can store it, you can display it, or you can choose to sell it at auction, at a convention. It's, it's an asset that you can you know, trade or barter with it as you see fit. But you're not allowed to create new Spider-Man content, right? You can't right. take that static comic book and then create it into a full motion video animated series or a live action movie. Uh, you can't create new pages of the comic book. 
So that's one of the issues that people run into is that they may own a very specific asset, but not may, but may not have the rights to create new or derivative works based on that asset. So that's one issue. So if you're a musician, I'm assuming, my understanding is if you sign with a label, label owns the rights to, to reproducing your music right now. And so there's no way for you to sell your music as an NFT on your own. You would have to participate with them. If your relationship with the, with the label is such that they own and control you know, the masters and the related rights, yes. Um, mm-hmm. Increasingly, lots of you know, musicians are going the independent route, and so many of them have more entrepreneurial options. But there are some technical limitations. You know, right now, um, you know, the, the, the form factor that the things that you're selling have to fit into make uh, very heavy video files challenging. So there are some technical limitations. We will plow through those the way that you know technology always plows through bandwidth barriers. Uh, but in this moment where we sit on you know April 9th, uh, that is an issue. Um, you know, but but I, I do think there's lots of opportunities. Um, and and what I always go back to is it has to be organic. Um, we were so incredibly proud and honored to to work with Halsey, who's a globally famous musician. You know, just an extraordinarily talented artist. Uh, and she was excited to move into this space. And when we speak to sort of, you know, what is an authentic way for an artist to be in the space, I think she's an amazing example. Um, most people know her as a musician, but she also is a painter and she's never painted commercially, but she paints because she likes painting. And there was one painting she was particularly proud of that no one had really seen. Um, it was something, you know, visions that she had seen in, in a dream, or I think she more describes it as a nightmare. And this painting was sitting there and, and she had the idea of bringing that painting to life um, in the NFT space. And so we worked with her and her extraordinary team of managers and her, 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 her agents at UTA. And we partnered her with great animators who brought those NFTs to life. We put in place a strategy for how they would be sold um, and, and what platform would be used. In this case, it was Nifty Gateway. And we worked with Nifty to make sure that there was a big spotlight on it. And it was a really successful drop. And that type of authenticity in terms of the connection that the artist feels to the thing that they're putting in the marketplace, I think is a really important ingredient here. Do you think that once we solve the tech issues and the, the legal and rights issues take a little longer to solve, that people's, your clients start viewing NFTs as a way to sort of the potentially could be the main thing they do as opposed to I'm a musician and I've also sold some art via NFTs or here's a collectible uh, related to whatever, but really I do my main work acting in movies or TV shows or whatever it is. Or or, or do you think the NFT becomes the medium people are using um, day to day? The question you just asked about NFTs, I think we could ask, we could have that same conversation. And by the way, I'd love to, because I, I love chatting with you about this stuff about a bunch of different trends in the marketplace, right? So what happens when Clubhouse makes it easier for anyone who hosts a room to charge X dollars for anyone who wants to be in the room? And can the most famous people on Clubhouse or in the world charge a buck and in 45 minutes charging a dollar a user make a couple million dollars? And will that then become their day job? Mm -hmm. Um, There might be someone who today is an actor or a writer or a journalist or a musician who falls in love with the opportunities to distribute media, uh, you know, uh, artwork or collectibles or, uh, or video, multimedia, or a fan experience them and NFTs. And, and it does become their primary vocation. I would be shocked if that isn't the case at least a few times. I don't know if that will be the case across the board. I don't think we're going to see every Grammy nominee stop touring and recording music and focused on NFTs full time. But there's going to be some people who really 
find success and, and that aligns with their passion and, and it might become their primary vocation. We're at the stage of the hype cycle where my inbox is full of random NFT pitches and each one has to be more sort of outrageous than the next. Yeah. Obviously there's grift, obviously there's scam. Um, what, what are red flags for you? When, you? when your clients come to you and go, oh, I have this great opportunity, when do you have to go look at it and go, you got to run the hell away from this? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's a number of things that-, that What's the tell? Yeah, there's a couple of things we pay close attention to, um, and they they can fit into a couple of different buckets. So first, you know, there are new platforms emerging every day, and you know, some of them um, are platforms that we vetted and that we trust. And even if they haven't quite figured everything out, like many of these platforms are, are building the plane as they're flying it, um, we we have faith in the management team and the technology team, and we're willing to to go on that journey with them. You know, and then there's a bunch of other platforms that say they can do a lot of things and they just can't. So first and foremost, we're very wary of the platform that is supposed to both deliver the drop and the auction experience uh, and then also, you know, help maintain the integrity of the smart contracts and all the benefits that buyers and sellers are, are relying on in this NFT environment. So we're really we spend a lot of time doing diligence on and scrutinizing um, the second thing that we try to be really smart about is distinguishing again between opportunities to just make a quick buck and opportunities where there's a really authentic way for an artist to create and deliver something special to the consuming public. And, you know, we want to be focused on the latter 100% of the time. What's the worst pitch you someone's brought to you? Oh, geez. Um, that's a good question. And I don't know if I can think of something, you know, off the top. First thought, best thought. What's the one where you said, come on, don't even reply to this email? Uh, you know, most of, the, most of the emails that I don't reply to um, tend to be more, um, anytime there's a new marketplace, there's a rush for people to try to create, yeah. you know, companies that sit in the middle. So I get emails every day saying, we've created the, you know, uh, the market leading solution to advise artists, you know, on building NFTs and we're building smart wallet. Tech. There's a million of these companies that are trying to sort of get in the middle. Yeah. And, uh, and, and most of them, at least for us thus far, um, either you know, don't offer anything that we deem to be mission critical or unique, or it's just an outright scam. You're generally representing clients who are dealing with, often dealing with big media companies. You're not usually representing the big media companies, but what is your sense of how the Disney's and the Warner Media's and the music labels are all thinking about this? Obviously, the NBA has has done, yeah. you know, is is by far sort of the market leader right now. I'm curious whether they, I'm curious whether they're going to re, redo that contract. Right. Um, do you think that they all, I mean, I'm assuming they all are debating whether or not they need an NFT strategy. Do you think they will all have one or do you think someone will, some of them are going to kick the can down the road? You know, listen, um, at the risk of, of offending anyone that works at, at, at certain subsets of those companies, I think it's really, you can divide the companies into two buckets. Put Disney in one bucket, I think most obviously, and, and maybe Warner Brothers as well. But let's start with Disney. You know, more so than any other media company in the world, they own iconic franchises and characters. And historically, those franchises and characters have played well in the collectible space, which is a really good indicator for something that might mm -hmm. work in the NFT space. So if they want to create a whole new generation of digital trading cards, if they want to create a whole new generation of uh, exclusive media uh, clips, 
if they want to create uh, a next generation premium fan club for the biggest Star Wars fans or the biggest Marvel fans. And unlike most fan clubs where you pay a membership fee for as long as you're interested and then you ultimately cancel, this is more like an equity country club where you may buy into right. you know, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier fan club for $100 today. And because it's, a, it's an asset that you can trade, you may sell it for $1,000 down the road. And you as a fan participate in the growth and, and, and the trajectory of the thing that you're most passionate about. So I would be beyond shocked if Disney doesn't have a significant team working on their NFT strategy for their core franchises. In theory, the NFTs, you know, once it's been created and sold, then in theory, and I know this isn't always the case, it's on the blockchain, it can move around, it can theory, it, Disney would in theory lose control of it at some point, right? I, or, or, I mean, that's, I mean, it's one of the questions about NBA and Top Shot is, is, you know, I guess the question is, how concerned should Disney or Warner Brothers or the NBA be about these assets that they own that have a lot of value that it's at some point can be mixed and matched with other random stuff where they can't control. Disney cares a lot about where Mickey shows up, right? And they don't want him to show up in a lot of context. Do you think that's a, an issue for them? Well, maybe. I listen, I think there's probably a thousand issues, only a fraction of mm -hmm. what we've considered thus far, right? The rest we'll discover along the way when we're standing in the yeah. pothole. Um, but I guess that's the fun of it, right? Um, the... You know, Disney's one of those companies that, if they've proven anything with Disney Plus, is that they could probably build their own platform and be very successful with it, where they have a lot more control and where they create the smart contracts to, you know, um, put guardrails up for, you know, to ward off against some of the things that, that, that you've described. But, you know, the flip side of that is there's been trading cards and collectibles around these things forever. And there's been a secondary market for those trading cards and collectibles. And not only has the owners of that intellectual property not minded, I think they've all felt pretty strongly that even though they don't participate in those secondary transactions historically, obviously with NFTs, that changes. But even though historically they haven't participated in the secondary markets, it's those secondary markets that fuels the fandom. And right. so they've always been completely fine with it. And, and I think at its core, NFTs are very similar Again, there's going to be a thousand issues that, that we need to work through, some of which we, we haven't even contemplated yet. Um, but at its core, I think that media companies will realize that if someone's willing to buy in an open sale or an auction a rare Yoda you know, trading card, um, that that's good for the brand. Um, and that feeds the fandom in a very positive way. Last question. Take a guess. A year from now, What's the level of interest in NFTs in your part of the world? Um, do you think this is this is here to stay, or is this a, still an experimental mode and maybe it goes away? If I had to guess, and it's absolutely a guess, I think that we'll see a few things happen over the coming year. Um, I think that everyone who was curious um, and wanted to make a quick buck will have done so, and they'll probably recede from the scene. I think that people who figure out that NFTs are an authentic and organic part of their brand and their business and how they connect with fans will turn it, you know, in many cases into an ongoing perpetual business. Um, the way that um, many artists have a tequila line or a merchandising line, mm -hmm. or they've launched, you know, a, a chain of restaurants. 
um, NFTs will just become one part of a multifaceted business that, that, that they run. I think that this whole notion of a next generation fan club is maybe the most exciting aspect of it for me, at least, um, in that uh, artists are you know, going to realize that it's an amazing way to engage with your biggest fans and to create a structured community that just wasn't possible prior to NFTs. And the fact that the fans, again, like an equity country club can buy in and then potentially sell later is really interesting. I mean, the smart contracts give them the ability to do so many different things. So I think that's very exciting. Um, and then listen, you know, it's funny because we naturally talk about, you know, the impact of sort of celebrity culture and film and TV and all these other things. But let's not forget, like the art world is forever changed by this. You know, the fact that historically artists never participated in the secondary sales of their works. Um, that's been, you know, the, the biggest challenge in that space. An artist who sells something for $500 then becomes famous and later it trades for $5 million and they don't participate in it. Um, the fact that that's been solved to some degree is really, really exciting. And it completely changes the world of fine arts and, and the world of collectibles. And, uh, uh, and so I think a year from now, we're going to see a tremendous amount of innovation in that space and in areas that are adjacent to that space. You know, one of the questions that people ask is, why would I buy a piece of NFT art? What, so I can show someone on my phone? And the answer is, well, no, of course not. There's going to be, you know, I'll be shocked if when we're at CES next January, which we're actually going to be at, which sounds amazing. Mm, I think it's going to happen. If there's not, you know, at especially the biggest consumer electronics manufacturers booths, if there's not, you know, specific screens that are dedicated to displaying digital art, right? And, and, right. and we're going to see a huge explosion of NFT specific consumer electronics that are designed for people to store and display and share their digital assets. And, and that's really exciting. So, so I think a year from now, it's going to be a much more mature space. Um, I think that a lot of the grifters will have gone away and what's going to be left are some really, really exciting business opportunities. Okay. So we will come back in a year, maybe less. Maybe I'll see you in person and on the West Coast or in Las... I can't yeah. believe I'm thinking about CES in January. Let's do it in Vegas. That is a definition of a super spreader event, but I... I guess maybe I'll be going. All right, Brent, great to talk to you. Great talk to talk soon. to you, Peter. Take care. Thanks again to Brent Weinstein and Mitchell Clark and Roham Gary Gozlu. Um, thanks again to you guys for listening to all of us talk about the blockchain for, for several minutes. Um, didn't think that would ever happen, but, but here we are. It's 2021. Like I said, we have a special edition. That was a special edition. They're all special editions. We've got another edition of Recode Media coming out Thursday, slightly different time. It'll be out Thursday morning, East Coast time. If any of you obsessives are, are waiting for it Wednesday night, you'll have to delay your gratification a few hours, but it's coming to you, should be good. You should enjoy it. Um, thanks as always to our sponsors. Thanks again to Joel and Jelani for producing and editing the show. And thanks to all of you for listening and telling other people that they should listen to. It's always appreciated. This is Recode Media, I'm Peter Kafka, and we'll be back in a day or two. See you soon. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. Do you want a career that meets you where you are and takes you where you want to go? Whatever your individual ambitions, motivations, and skills may be, discover your potential at Deloitte. Right along with purpose-driven teams and a difference-making culture. Be seen for who you are and celebrated for what you bring. Discover your impact at Deloitte. 
Learn more at Deloitte.com slash US slash Discover Careers. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit DrinkSmartWater.com. 